Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Hello, yes, you're back. I, I wish I had the Norwegian to say, this is Graham, it's the big interview part two with Jan Fjortoft. I don't, but what I can adequately say is that this second half includes a remarkable breakdown of what makes Erling Haaland potentially, hi Kylian Mbappe, are you listening, potentially the number one striker in the world, the number one striker for the next 10 years, I don't know, because I personally think that Mbappe is already up there with him in terms of skills. They're just differently oriented. And we can all say what it is that Erling Haaland does exceptionally well. But are any of us as well briefed as Jan Uge Fjortov to be able to say how he does it? In this episode, we hear more about the evolution of Martin Odegaard, the miracle of Eintracht Frankfurt avoiding relegation against Otto Rehagel's team on the last day of the Bundesliga. But, best of all, we hear an extraordinary forensic breakdown of what makes Erling Haaland a footballer who's threatening to dominate the next 10 or 15 years of world football. Welcome back to the big interview part two. I'm Graham. Now, this is Jan Erge. I'm going to give a throwaway one now, and and you can you can knock it out of touch or tell me I'm an idiot. How much do you hate the Austrian Cup final? Good question. I played three <laughs> cup finals. How many of them? Yeah, I was. I, th- I played three. Lost them all. The first one, 1-0 one up, uh, Hans Krankel, the famous goalgetter, took me off in the 92nd minute to let me celebrate to be the match winner in the cup final. In the 93rd minute, Austria-Vienna, our main rival, equalised 1-1. We played the extra half without strikers. We lost 3-1. Then we lost against Stockerau, who was like, I mean, I can't start how, much, how big favourite we were. We lost 2-1. And my last game... Uh, in in Austria was against Tyrol, which I had a good team, but still we lost. I scored a goal again, but that was my last game in Austria. So yes, your man, I think he was a defender. I don't know if I pronounce his name right. Flickle, he, he loved a red card in a big match. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, there were things all over the place. And uh, the Austria, I would love to have one of those trophies. Just give me one of them, please. The, uh, I'm so old that this was before Bosman, so that means that to to be able to leave Rapid Vienna. 
Rapid Vienna could just hold me there without a contract. I mean, there was a terrible situation and I didn't have a contract. So, but I, in a week before the cup final, I did my own uh, arrival, so, uh, a departure. So I, I made a lot of last goodbye interviews, Auf Wiedersehen interviews. It, and it went so far because I thought that I had to put pressure on Rapid Vienna because now I had to, they had to let me leave. So I remember when we lost against Tyrol, we went up and got to the silver medal. And the Bundeskanzler, the Prime Minister, he said to me, well, Jan, he said, um, all the best in your new club. And I was thinking, okay, uh, my uh, my theatre this week has worked as a, when a Bundeskanzler think think I will leave as well. So and then I went to Swindon. You talk about Lillestrom being your, your team, but I look at the, the days of Stabek, if I've pronounced it even vaguely properly, and I look at Sunday, 29 April 2001, and I see you beating Stromgodset, um, and beaten a fellow called Hans Erik Odegaard, and you played with Alfie. And look, our our sponsors again, Bet365 ask, can Holland and Odegaard and their ilk at the moment lead Norway to their first World Cup this century in the near future? Is are things besides those two individual talents? beginning to look more positive for you? It's getting more positive and we have a good national coach in Stoller Solbakken who was at Copenhagen, didn't have a lot of success in Köln and Wolverhampton, but did well for Copenhagen. So he, I like the way he, he's the same generation as me, he was a part of that 90 team that were good. Uh, so what I like about him, he looks for the types of players. The problem with Norway is that you are, you're a small country, meaning that you have to have every year uh, of developing players. So the 2001 generation, the 2002 generation, you need one or two players from each each year, so to say. And, and, and another thing is that you need different type of players. So when you mention Erling Haaland, he's world-class, Martin Erdogan is doing fantastic for Arsenal now, growing into his role that we have expected him to do. That, but they are offensively, they are playing going forward. And the last years, in the 90s, we had so many good defenders. I mean, Alan Johnson, who played for Chelsea, player of the year at Chelsea, played it for nine years. He couldn't get, even get into the team. So we had a great uh, central defenders. That was historically one of the Norwegian things that we had. But now we don't have a lot of good defenders. So the, the balance of the team is not perfect at the moment. So he tried to look for players. He tried to get defenders in there uh, to, to take that next step. Uh, so it's still going to be a, a struggle to get to the to the different championships. You mentioned Stolas Sobak, and he, uh, he, he was also a man who fell up pretty spectacularly with Pep Guardiola on the touchline, but not with an interview at the end of Copenhagen-Barcelona. I'd be interested, <clears throat> if it's okay, I, I don't want to ask you about Young Haaland's future. You can ask me anything. I enjoy it. it. One of the things that fascinates me is it's it's clear that he's very special. And there's two things, there's three things I think are very special. One of which is not unheard of in that he's a, he's a great physical specimen. But the, other, the other two things it appears to me is there aren't many finishers in, in recent times who finish as instinctively, as naturally as he does. And that's something that sticks out to me because I don't know, but you probably do know whether it's trained or innate. But his knowledge of when to strike the ball that will give the goalkeeper the least ability to move, it's not always about power. It's very often about 
quick finishes, first-time finishes, or putting the ball where the keeper is just half an inch off balance. That's a very special thing that he's got. And I think it's usually found in, in smaller strikers. You could immediately think of Jimmy Greaves or Romario or Babeto or, or Messi. And yet he's got this beautiful combination of being a genuinely marvellous physical specimen, but with that knack in front of goal, which is not all about power. I love my football. My wife will say I'm a football nerd, but I'm not. But I'm, I'm nerdy about scoring goals because I did that myself. That was my passion. I love scoring goals. And what I, when I see Erling, first of all, the physical attributes are there. You see that. Remember, he, he, he gained eight kilos after he came to Dortmund. That was after he scored 10 goals for Salzburg in the Champions League. So he has gained weight. In the, in the period of Terzic, Terzic, who was the interim coach, he made him better in the way that he, he, he got the ball, he could turn, play the other guys in. That is one thing. Secondly, uh, now he's also getting a bit better header of the ball. Uh, that is point one, he's scoring goals with his header. And they're also doing uh, more crosses, uh, which, is, um, which is good for him. But but the good the thing is the nerdy thing about him is first of all what you're saying there about his finishing. As you're saying, yes, he can do the odd uh, great goals like he did against Schalke or he did against PSG in in the Champions League. But normally it's his runs to take him on the goalkeeper, and he always find the goalkeeper standing on his wrong foot. Gert Müller said once, "If I start thinking, it's too late," and it's a, it's a great quote. But Gert Müller, that, that what Gert Müller said in that uh, statement is that it's a part of training because he's so many times in same positions in training because you want to score goals in training and goal getters do that. I had the aim all training, all football session. I should be the goal getter at six against six. If we play seven against seven, I wouldn't be a goal getter. Five against five, I should go score most goals. But Erling Haaland also got this ability to, his runs are unbelievable. I mean, it's very underestimated when, when we describe his skills. Because first of all, the, guy, the boy nearly never goes in offside, which is amazing. Uh, secondly, the way he creates his space, he takes a away movement to create his space. And then he goes into that space immediately. And then when you have a player like Sancho or Bellingham or Hazard or, or Royce next to you, they find that space. And that is unbelievable. And another thing is with him, very seldom that you see a player enjoy other players scoring goals that he does. He is unbelievable. He loves the goals. When other, another player scores the goals, he is as happy when he scores the goals himself, which is an unbelievable skill to have as a goal-getter because a goal-getter, per definition, is a bit selfish. It, it, it's a Benzema skill. Erling may go on to be, to be more, maybe, eventually, than Karim, but he embodies exactly what you're describing in, in, in Erling. Yeah, and, and the thing is that if you have that ability, then you also got the passes back, which is, which is also good for him because they, they will give him the pass back and they will enjoy themselves when Erling scores or, or Karim scores. And the second thing is that there are a lot of stri strikers who score goals, but there are also a lot of strikers who misses many chances. Erling, Knockwood, nearly never misses a chance. Which is quite interesting because uh, I will never ever compare him with him because he he got to many more chances that, that I did because he has other physical attributes. But that that is one that was one of my skills as well. I maybe didn't come to uh, all these chances because I wasn't uh, quick enough or I wasn't strong enough. But I never 
hardly missed it a big chance. And, 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 and that tells me when I see Erling that Erling is one who worked very hard on his details, uh, very hard on his positioning. And I know that the boy is working 24-7 to improve and also that thing. And I'm, I'm so old that I was sitting with my FF and Rev on the video recorder and see Gary Lineker's run, where why was he always on his own when he got the ball? But Erling has that skill that he always tend to be in the right position. And when you see the goal stats he's having now, you know that the defender will look, look for him all the time, but he still managed to do that, as he did in this weekend. Two typical Erling Haaland goals because he created that space for himself. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I wonder, Jan, and we'll, we'll pull to an end, um, but I wonder, you know, I'm lost in admiration for watching a guy of, of that age do so well in, in two foreign countries at a high level, both with teams that are strong, but they're not necessarily the blue ribbon team of that um, nation, necessarily. At any rate, one of the things that, that's clear is that unless he and Mbappe choose to sign for the same club, this summer or next summer. I don't care when it is, but there's a possibility that both of them move this summer. Unless they do, there is an inevitability that the media and sponsors and fans are going to say, great, super, that's our next 10 years of an equivalent to Messi versus Cristiano Ronaldo. We, we want to... And I wonder personality-wise... Will Erling try to reject that, which I think is like trying to push a, push the, the ocean back? Does he have the, the character, the personality to enjoy that 
extra unnecessary razzmatazz, which I think is going to be forced upon both of them. I, I genuinely do think that that's just about inevitable. Can, can I don't mean can he cope, but can he thrive? Will he dislike that? You explain his personality a little bit to us. Well, first of all, to compare anyone with Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo is very, very unfair because I love my football history and you can make uh, a very, very big case for Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi being the best players ever around. And another least for so many years. So you can have Puskas in the 50s, maybe. Fantastic. Di Stefano. Go back there. If you take it after the, the Second World War, you ha- can have Johan Cruyff, Franz Beckenbauer. But if you see how many years Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo has done that, it's, it's like unbelievable. I mean, there is nothing that you compare with in the football history. Maybe Pelé from 58 to 70s, but then he had the seven or eight years where he kind of played in Santos and he played in New York Cosmos. So, I mean, to compare them with the two of the best players in the world are uh, is, is very unfair, but still... People will do that. The funny thing, I think, with, with Mbappé and uh, Erling Haaland is that they are both... I think the, re- the reason we like them so much is that they, they are kind of cartoon characters. They, are, they have some of a special personality. I, I was fortunate. I think I w- one of the first interviews in English with Mbappé, and he was like... He, he, he came forward as an, a nine-year-old. I mean, I, I loved him, his love of the game and so on. And then there were th- things that happened late uh, the last years, but now he seems to be back. But he's a world champion, still a world champion. So, I mean, Erling Haaland will never be, unfortunately, a world champion. But I think that the, the two of them, the reason they will tackle that kind of position is that they are these characters. They seem. I always end up asking Erling when I have the chance, how do you cope with the pressure? How do you block it out? How do you manage to score against Freiburg uh, when everybody talking about Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester City or Chelsea or whatever? Uh, and I think, I think that you saw that with Mbappé as well. He had had stages in his career where you saw he didn't look uh, so happy and then he came back again to, uh, trying to do well for PSG and everything. So yes, I think they could do. I, I, I would have loved to see them in the same team. I think that, um, I think that, and that is just my personal thing. I, I think that I always said that Mbappé movements will be a bit key to what happened to Erling Haaland because if he goes to Real Madrid, will they then consider that they play with Benzema, Mbappé, and Erling Haaland? And then they have some other young kids as well at Real Madrid who are fantastic. But still, it's it's quite interesting and somehow. <clears throat> they are different as person, but still very similar to characters. So I think that we will ha- we will enjoy them for many many years. Uh, and I and I think that sometimes it's sometimes I know Erling the team Haaland much better than the team Mbappe. But something is is quite forgotten by Haaland. Look the way he has chosen his clubs. There's always been sensible choose- choices. There has always been a sen- sensible dad who has talked about development, going to Salzburg instead of Juventus, going to Dortmund instead of the big English clubs and so on. Uh, so so I'm not afraid of them. They, they have built a, a great team uh, around Erling. It's guest's choice to finish. I'll give you three subjects. Um, I know that um, when Steven Gerrard was at Liverpool, he showed young Martin Odegaard around the training ground, phoned him up, encouraged him. Odegaard was a Liverpool fan. It didn't happen. Subject one. Subject two, I just need to say the miracle of Eintracht Frankfurt in the last three, four games of relegation. Or, or Jurgen Klopp, the singer. Now, you can choose. 
It's multiple choice. I have time, so I can do small comments on each. Can I do that? Yes. Okay. First of all, Martin Erdegaard, you're now sitting in, um, you're now sitting in my uh, home office, somewhere behind me, somewhere. I'm not sure. I could take the sheet of paper. When Martin Erdegaard was 16, him and his dad were sitting in his le- my living room. I was the then team manager of the Norwegian national team. I was here with him, a national coach, his dad and myself. Uh, and we were, we were to discuss which clubs he should go to. Of course, the, the final decision was his. But I took a shi- sheet of paper and I made one, two, three, four because it was Arsenal, uh, it was Arsenal, Liverpool, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. And I made one to four what I thought he would think. And I, and I did it a bit dramatically before the meeting started. They were sitting there and the young kid was 16. So I made one to four. And I said, and I also do one to four what I mean you should do. And uh, that was funny. And we were sitting here. And yes, he was a Liverpool fan. And of course, that was uh, very attractive to, to him. I, I, at the end of the day, it ended up uh, that we managed to make a scenario where he was a developer of the game. He was a pupil of football. And he was great in the subject football. So the subject football, you had to find a college who fitted you best to your uh, college. And that college, of those four teams, there were only one team who had a second team. And that was Real Madrid. And the head coach of that team was Zinedine Zidane. So at the end of the day, I think that was, uh, Martin could uh, confirm it or not confirm it. But I, I think that was the final thing that m- made him go to Real Madrid. Having said that, I remember I said also dramatically, my main argument, you can't say no to Real Madrid. It's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> what was your one, two, three, four? How did you write on the paper? I had Real Madrid at the top uh, and th- for, for that reason, because I did my homework. Uh, because and Bayern Munich, I remember at the time, they put a lot of pressure on me because they, they knew me through German football and they said that he, had, he has to choose us. And Pep Guardiola, when I met him in, in his training camp, he was like, I gave him to me. I'm making the best player in the world, blah, blah, blah. And, but uh, at the end of the day, the main thing was for him to play football. And he was 16 years of age and, and people were too impatient that he should play straight away. I guess he still is the youngest player who ever played for Real Madrid, but that has nothing to do with the case. Because, and he has arrived now. And uh, I know American football and he, there are a lot of late bloomers. And in the USA, you should be good when you're 22, 23. So I think that Martin will do well. With Eintracht Frankfurt, there is... Um, uh, the last four games of the season, we are hopelessly away uh, from from a, a, a safe place in, in, in Frankfurt or in the Bundesliga. And we played Werder Bremen away, we won. We played Dortmund at home, we won. And suddenly, so, okay, there may be a chance, but we're playing Schalke away from home, 65,000, 2-0 down. I touched the ball once, that made it 2-1. At uh, halftime, we had a legendary coach called Jörg Berger, uh, who, uh, who was just standing there saying, Easy, boys. We were going to win this 3-2. And we were thinking, we haven't touched the ball, coach. We haven't touched the ball. Of course, we're ending up uh, winning 3-2. And before the last game of the season, we we played Kaiserslautern with Otto Rehagel. They needed a draw to get a Champions League. And as it turned out, the papers, you know, at the end of the season, they always make these different alternatives, say everything that can happen. And then, you know, you always have a a, a drawer where you say... impossible thing that could happen but still could happen but won't happen anyway but that didn't happen either we went to the next draws so I scored uh, as you said the winner in the 92nd minute 5-1 we had the same goal difference as Nuremberg but we scored more goals four more goals and Christoph Westerhalter comes on 86 minutes and gives you the assist 
for the goal to go 5-1, to keep Eintracht up and to thrash, as you said, the, the mighty Rehagels, Kaiserslautern. Yeah, well, so had a good, they had a good team. And, uh, but, and, and the last thing, uh, uh, with, with Jurgen Klopp singing, and I, and I think that you can identify very much what happened in the 30 minutes before that singing, because they were like all channels in the world wanted to speak to Jurgen Klopp. He had done all his super flash outside. He has probably had his wife and kids and cousins and whatever on the pitch. It takes so ages in Champions League to get to interviews. <clears throat> and I worked very hard with UEFA to get him first because I said, and, I, and he was an Italian guy, so I kind of appealed on his Italian side and I said, look around you, who has been here in every game of Liverpool's campaign? And he said, and he said, it's probably you, Jan. And he said, yes, that is true. Who else standing here has worked with Jurgen Klopp for 12 years? And he, and he said, it's probably you, Jan. And then Jurgen Klopp came up the stairs and I hugged him outside the camera and congratulated him. And then the Liverpool guy said, you can go to Jan. So, and then he, he sung this song, Let's Talk About Six, Baby, because that was the sixth time Liverpool won the Champions League. And uh, it was unbelievable. Thank God I knew my role not to sing with him. Uh, and the, the aftermath of that, if I may, that was that I was finished. And it's happened of my 2,000 interviews once we uh, got missed in the sky. So when I do an interview, no, I always think they will be missed in the sky. So I calling up my producer, have you got it? Have you got it? And he said, yes, we're waiting for it. Have you got it? And yeah, we, yes, we have got it. We just had, a, had an adverse now. We're doing it. And I said, you have to show, you have to show, you have to show it. So, and, and I was standing there like this. I was standing, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. They need to put it on because I knew straight this will be a big thing. So then I, I saw all the SMS coming in and I knew it was on. And the funny thing afterwards, my colleague who was standing next to me, I went back to him afterwards and said, how was Klopp with you? I was fantastic, wasn't it? Ah, I said, it was quite normal. <laughs> okay. And that, is, that just shows Jürgen Klopp. He got so many different faces. And, and thank God for me, he, he, uh, he did that singing face to me. It goes beyond the, the, the trust though, Jan, because what you've demonstrated over the last hour and a bit, and what I've seen when I watch you um, transfer from your professional career to a new professional career, and we haven't mentioned a number of times that Norwegian politics or Norwegian sport has leaned on you, asked you to help, asked you for guidance. You, you're a, a clever, articulate, uh, strategic man, and that's why Klopp opened up. It isn't just the 12 years. It's about respect, and it's about liking somebody who's, who's different and challenging. You've shown all of that to us today. It's generous of you. I need to own up to the listeners. I kept Jan waiting for half an hour. Um, it's been a hell of a day. I had Darwin Nunez crying, not deliberately, in an interview immediately before this. So this has lifted me. It's been fantastic. I genuinely admire what you do. I think that you are more than a rarity. I think you're up in the in the really high stratosphere of those who handle the post-match interview with wit and entertainment. You've show, you've given that to us today. Thank you, Jan Agafjortov. Thank you very much indeed. First of all, thank you for the nice words. And you're doing something, Graham, today that is very rare in our business and in another business. And I, and I, I salute you doing that. I know I was the lucky guy who, who got that from you. But I think that we are in our... Uh, society 
to praise each other. Uh, I, I, when I see someone do something good, if there had been another journalist, I can fight for something. He can get an interview that I don't get. I admire that. And I, and I, I thank you for the very, very nice words. And thank you for, for, your, for, the, for your great podcast that you do anyway. And hopefully we can inspire some people to kind of praise each other because we need that in our business. It's nice to be nice when people deserve it. And what I said about you, I meant. Jan, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.